Welcome to the weekly Mission Red Bank podcast, helping the body of Christ build itself up together in love. So as I prepared this week, I had what I consider to be a a unique thought. Not really. Most people I know have an aversion to pain. Yes? It's not a unique thought, is it? Physical pain for some of us. Emotional pain. These are challenging, hard things to accept, much less embrace. And if you're like me, you might live a life often devoted to go to some significant lengths to avoid these kinds of pain. Yeah? Am I alone in that? I am. Please come and help me, Paul. You're green, okay. No, I was really good. If you got that one, I need to learn from you. (laughs) We avoid pain very often. That's reasonable. But here's a question. Is it always the best choice? What if the pain we're trying to avoid has important purpose? What if it's necessary? You know, when Caleb was born, I remember. (laughs) Not pain. I did not feel pain. My wife felt pain. But I remember her looking at me after he was born, and she had this look of, okay, right? And then she looked me dead in the face, and she said... Next time I want to do this, please remind me of how much it hurts. (laughs) She did. And Caleb was worth it. But she wanted to count the cost before she considered going through that again. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said about pain. He said, we can ignore even pleasure. But pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now in today's passage... We're going to see these two scenes of Jesus trying to rouse a deaf world. And we'll observe responses to the struggle, the frustration, the discomfort, the pain that comes when the kingdom of God threatens our kingdoms. By the end, my hope is that we together, and I mean that, might come to a sort of healthy fork in the road. A place where I hope we will see the value of following Jesus even though it can be really painful. Okay? 
Let's pray and then go there together. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit will come and open our hearts and minds. Open our eyes, open our ears. Help us get what you have in mind. Help us learn from your word. Be changed by your spirit. Walk in the truth and be free. We pray through Christ. Amen. So I'm going to start in verse 38 of Luke chapter 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he, Jesus, answered them and said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, that was where Jonah was going to preach, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they, the Ninevites, repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south, from Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater And Solomon is here. So to get a little context, to open this little piece of the passage up, some of the religious leaders are asking Jesus for a sign. Why? I I believe they're honestly trying to get their head around what he's doing and saying. Sometimes they would do this to trip him up or test him or try to make him stumble in some way. I think they were really trying to get their head around him. His healing of a mute person has just happened. This was thought to be impossible. Why? Because in order to cast out a demon that would cause muteness, you couldn't get the name of the demon. And they believed that was the only path to exorcism, was that you get the demon's name and then speak to it and cast it out. But Jesus had authority without hearing the name. They didn't know what to do with that. And he pulled it off easily and it freaked them out. To the point of them foolishly concluding that he must be in league with the devil if he has this kind of power over the devil's work. And he rebukes them for this. That's where we've been, where we went last week. Because that's not what he's doing. It's the power of God. They're calling it the power of the devil. He rebukes them and they're going, man, you got to prove this to us. Help us. And Jesus even rebukes them for this ask. He says that their judgment of him and his work driving their demands to demand a sign are wickedly missing God. And as for that sign, he tells them that the only signs they're going to get are his preaching and his resurrection. 
That's what he means by referring to Jonah. Jonah was sent to preach to the Ninevites. And Jonah also lived three days in the belly of a fish and then coughed back out. And he says, like Jonah, my preaching to you are what you're going to get. And like Jonah, my resurrection after three days in the earth. That's what you're going to get. That's your sign. It's already established. That's what you're going to get. And then he notes how other wicked people, people caught in sin from the past, the Ninevites, he notes how they repented when God showed them how they were wrong. And he also speaks of a famous queen from a pagan culture, Queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, who had the courage to come and try to find Solomon to seek true wisdom. And he says these people who were pagan will rise up and judge you, condemn you in the last days because of who you're rejecting. They repented from preaching and the presence of God's wisdom in a man like Solomon and someone greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon, is right in front of you. You're rejecting God and what God's doing. That's that first piece. And then it continues, verse 43, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, remember he's cast a demon out of a mute person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. I'll go back to that person. And when it comes, it finds the house empty. Why? Because it's been delivered. It finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be for this evil generation. So here Jesus is going further, letting them know that were he to grant what they're seeking... To just give a sign. Let them stay in the box, if you will, of the way they've observed following God. And just grant them a sign so that they might value him and add him onto how they were following God. He's saying to them, this won't be enough to save you. A sign is not, you're looking for something that doesn't fix your problem. They'd be liberated momentarily, but the evil from which they'd been delivered, he says, it will return and find you somewhat better put in order, yet uninhabited without the Holy Spirit, who is bearing witness to me, to whom you are committing blasphemy. That spirit will invite other spirits in and make you more evil, more in need, more broken than before. So while there's a strong confrontational moment that Jesus is having, do you hear the mercy in that? Do you hear him saying, if I acquiesce to being like you want me to be, you come out worse Because there are things from which you must be delivered. Things you must accept. You're not ready to do that. So it's not just enough for me to give you a sign. Then Jesus, as he's dealing with this, 
he encounters something really personal. Listen to what's next. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. That is a very reasonable ask, by the way, in their culture. Ours too, but especially in theirs. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus' mom and brothers show up to speak with him, and he uses the moment to create something teachable, something important, to put something out there that they needed to hear. And apparently, we need to hear. It's still in the Bible. He uses the moment to push how the reality of the coming of the kingdom of God literally touches everything in life. Even our understanding of something as valuable and intimate as family. And please know that this push would have been hard for Mary and his brothers to hear. It would have been hard for them to receive. It would have been one of those moments that pierced Mary's heart. The prophecy that was given to her when she was taking Jesus to be baptized. And Simeon says that her heart would be pierced. This would have been one of those moments. A moment when embracing her son's mission would have challenged what was considered normal, right, and good in her cultural understanding of family. It would have been a collision. And this, for this whole section we've just looked at briefly, is kind of the point I want to get to today. One reason many of the Pharisees had such a massively difficult time understanding and accepting Jesus was that though he was doing what seemed to be incredibly good stuff, he was often doing this stuff at times and in ways that truly violated their understanding of normal, right, and good. Mary's encounter here and her story is similar. Now, different. She had already been set apart in a way. But a little research would teach us how not right it would feel for Jesus to turn around and reach out to others when his family is asking for him. He's the firstborn male in his house. His father, Joseph, is gone. He's passed. Mary and the rest of his family are his responsibility. Yet he says, here are my mother and my brothers. 
For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That, can you see why that would have been painful? Can you get that? We need to get that. That Mary would have really felt that. It's important that we get it. Because what she had to do is something I think we have to do. Mary had to embrace this pain or, that's one road, or she had to let her known way of valuing family get in the way of the kingdom. What about us? Are the demands of the kingdom, let's just mention just three. Love God above all, even family. Love neighbor, whoever they are, as self. Consider others' needs ahead of your own well-being. Are these challenging us today like they challenge folks in Jesus' day? Are they? You bet they are. So what do we do? How are we going to respond? Are we going to respond like the Pharisees, demanding that God meets us on our terms, terms that we find acceptable, which could mean, could mean that we miss surrendering to Holy Spirit coming to fill us and give us life. We could miss that if we dig in. Or are we going to respond like the Ninevites, like the Queen of the South, like Mary and Jesus' brothers, James and Jude, who end up writing pieces of the New Testament? Are we going to repent and embrace the pain of our values being confronted and challenged? Hear God's call to turn and do what he's doing above even what we would call normal, right, and good. Literally surrendering our plans to him. Worshiping him by counting the cost and still following. Count the cost. It's expensive to be a Christian. It costs you everything. And Jesus admonishes us in Luke 14 to count the cost. But never does he say, don't follow. Count the cost and still follow. Our Lord and leader came down from heaven and became our neighbor. Have you ever thought about that? He came down and became our neighbor. He gave away all his rights as God the Son. He divested himself of his glory in order to love his neighbors, us, 
as himself. St. John says that God loves us like he loves his son. This is why. He came down to make us his neighbors and then do what he admonishes us to do, love neighbor himself. He surrendered to the point of death, disadvantaging himself of his very life, embracing that pain on our behalf. That is what Jesus did. Will we surrender like him? This is what hit me this week. How can I call myself his follower if I won't? How can I call myself a follower of Jesus if I won't follow him and do what he does? That's a slap in the face of cultural Christianity in the West. Saying that God calls us to follow Jesus. If these words convict you like they convict me, I want to give some help. Just three practical ways that you can consider this or look at it based on three things that are happening actually in our midst right now. Okay? So I'm going to give you something you can do. Not to earn God's favor, but so that you can begin to move against maybe the way that is the norm. Here they are. We're expanding, as we prayed earlier, our kids' space ministry this Tuesday, September the 4th. Talk to Heather and find out what's needed to make that launch successful and let's meet that need. There are some things that are needed in the other space. We put out a wish list on Amazon. Some of the things are a bit costly. If 10 people go together to buy a $200 item, it's 20 bucks a piece. So let's find a way to do it. How? Together. Together. On the 16th of this month, we're multiplying this service. We've already asked one thing of you, haven't we? To pick one Sunday out of a month to go to both services. Well, here's an idea. When you do that, or any other time you want to, worship at one service and find ways to serve at the other one as a family. As a family, do it. Have your kids help you so that they learn serving, following Jesus who came as a servant, not because you tell them to, but because they're doing it alongside you. There's an idea. And we welcome that. God in his providence put preachers in your midst who do not mind kids being around. We actually like it. And that's rare. It really is. It's hard for communicators sometimes. We want the kids to come and learn to serve alongside you. And here's the third thing. This is exciting, hot off the presses news. On September the 23rd, we will, Lord willing, you always have to say that, you know. 
and the creek don't rise. Okay. You have to say that too, apparently. (laughs) We are planning to launch a new Sunday school in the new space for children above third grade. It's time for us to do that. We've wanted to do that, and we nailed down some details about it this week. So, Brad, raise your hand. Brad and Natalie are right there. He is going to help work with Heather and her team so that we can begin to have Sunday school for kids that are fourth and fifth and up. Talk with Brad. Talk with Heather. Find out how you can support the launch. Find out what you can do for our launch this Tuesday. Think about, as we've already said, attending two services on one Sunday and then finding a way you can serve with your family, with other families while you worship at the other one and then help us get that Sunday school rolling. Mission Red Bank, here's our word. This is an imperative. Surrender. Just surrender. All of who we are and all of what we have belongs to him. What do we got to hold back that's ours? I didn't hear anything. Nothing. It's his. So let's stop looking for God to become who we want him to be. Let's accept him for who he is. An all-powerful, righteous, all-loving, sacrificing God. Shouting to us through the struggle. Shouting to us. Not in a scolding or a shaming way. But reaching out to us in the pain seeking to rouse us to become who he's created us to be, his people. His sacramental presence in his world, his body in the world today. Let's let surrendering to God, embracing that struggle, that pain, that tension of his kingdom, confronting and conquering all our little kingdoms. Let's let that become our only path to comfort. So that together we might become his redemptive sons and daughters in the world. Amen? Amen. You've been listening to the Mission Red Bank Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to know more about Mission Red Bank or have questions about what you've heard today, you'll find us on Facebook. Grace and peace to you. And may God's blessings surround you.